19th chapter. In verse 1, and again, I've been teaching Proverbs, as I've said many times, you have got every, the whole Bible is condensed in Proverbs. And uh, if you study it with a lot of thought, putting it together, you'll see that everything that is taught throughout the Scriptures is condensed in the book of Proverbs. Solomon was the wisest man on the face of the earth, God-given wisdom, and he wrote the majority of the Proverbs. And we're, um, we've been studying, we're up to the 17th chapter, and I'm going to look at 17 and 1. It should come up behind me in the Amplified. I hope you did get that. Thank you. I'm going to read it in the King James. You'll see it up here in the Amplified. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. Good one. You may be seated. Now, what would the wisest man on the earth charge for specific advice for your life? Would it be $500 an hour? The wisest man on the earth to give you life advice could charge $5,000 an hour. But in this case, we see God-inspired wisdom from King Solomon that is given free of charge. And you ever stop and think about the book of Proverbs, the wisest man on the face of the earth, God-given wisdom, is giving advice to us for free. That's pretty good. Now, as in many Proverbs, the parallelism contrasts two things here. The right against the wrong. A dry morsel could be a saltine cracker. Anybody ever eaten these new wheat saltine crackers? Those are really good stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Ritz cracker is a little bit too ritzy for this. We're talking about a dry morsel, so we'll, we'll make a saltine cracker out of it. Uh, and he said, you know, it could be a saltine cracker and a house full of sacrifices could be a steak dinner. Let's just put the parallelism here. A steak dinner. And with all the trappings, you've got baked potato, you've got bread, you've got butter coming down off the, off the bread, and, and you know, and a, a baked potato with... Anybody put sour cream on a baked potato at howl to moon? I mean, they'd howl it to moon, sour cream. That's bad. Double the butter, right? Double butter on it. I mean, all the trappings, really good. Now, now, now think about this. Since some sacrifices for the best of their flocks and herds were eaten by the people, we're describing the very best food in great and free abundance. That's what they're saying when they say sacrifices. He's saying a dry morsel, the sacrifices, a house full of sacrifices, the best of the herd was given and was eaten by some of the people. Parts of it was eaten by the people. Now, quietness is not a noise level, but it's a lack of trouble, a lack of fighting, travail, vexation. It is contrasted with strife. It is a state of calm, peace, and rest, and security. I want you to look with me at Ecclesiastes 4 and 6. Ecclesiastes 4 and 6. Better is a handful with quietness than both hands full with painful effort, a vain striving after the wind and feeding on it. You ever tried to eat the wind? That's what he's saying. It's impossible. He said, it's better. Now, now in a sister proverb, the contrast is between love and hatred. Quietness being love and, and hatred being strife. And that helps our understanding. You can read that in Proverbs 15, 17. That helps us understand what he's saying here. 
The preacher tells us that saltine crackers in a calm and peaceful home are superior to a, a steak dinner with a tense and unhappy family. Now here's wisdom to direct our priorities. More emphasis, time, effort, money, and value should be placed on peace and love in a family than the securing of food and things for the family. This goes completely contrary to how we live in America. Completely. We spend so much time getting things for the family that we neglect the family. That is completely... Well, it's not, it not only is it contrary to, to American families, but it's, uh, it's, it's our carnal, covetous, greedy. It, it agrees with that. And materialistic generation, it, that agrees with all of that. Now, profane Americans say this, He who dies with the most toys win. But our Creator tells us he who lives a godly life, content with what, what he has, wins. First Timothy 6 and 6. First Timothy 6 and 6. And it is indeed a source of immense profit for godliness accompanied with contentment. That contentment, which is a sense of inward sufficiency, is great and abundant gain. Inward sufficiency. Where does inward sufficiency come from? It comes from the infilling of the Holy Ghost. When you have received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you have got an inward sufficiency. You're sufficient within you because God is in you. And everything that you could possibly ever need is there. If we could ever crack, and for 25 years I've been trying to, to understand for me personally how to get into everything God has invested in me. And sometimes it's so hard because our nature is so different than what God does. It's the ability to look into, and I made a statement to Floyd earlier, it's the ability to flow. It's the ability not to worry. It's the ability to not sweat it. It's just the ability to go and understand that God has got everything well in control. And as long as He's in control, I don't have to worry about anything. As long as I'm serving Him, giving Him the best that I have and that I am, He's going to take care of everything else. Now here's a choice. Do we follow the profane American to hell or to God to heaven? That's the choice that we have. Do we live the life of vanity and vexation of spirit? Our society promotes, or do we choose the wise man's priority, knowing he had already tested both ways by divine providence? You know, Solomon already knew both ways. He understood it. He tried it. So we, we look at this free advice that he's giving us. Two people in love can be happy, peaceful, and contented, sharing peanut butter and crackers. Some of you dating couples remember that? I mean, at the first couple of dates, always the, the, I maybe you know back when I was dating, I was I was cool and suave and you know all this. Don't ask my wife about that, please. Just just look up here, okay? <laughs> I, I was I was all these wonderful things, you know, and you spent all this big money. Now after you 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 know after you pretty much agreed that you're going to marry her, then it goes to peanut butter and crackers. Huh? That's good preaching, isn't it? Yeah. That's the way it works. <laughs> and two people can be miserable in the middle of luxury. That's when differences and bitterness have been allowed to creep in. See, what God needs to save us from is ourselves. 
So what causes tension, stress, and trouble in a home? Now, now, I am giving you Bible for what I'm telling. Now, I'm starting with this one because that's just the way it starts in the Scripture. And please do not, I am not picking on any particular gender. Okay? So I just, uh, this is Bible. I'm going to give you the Bible Scriptures before I say it. Proverbs 7, 11, 9, 13, 12, 4, 19, 13, 21, 9, 19, 25, 24, 27, 15 through 16, 30, 21, 20. Get that? Okay. What causes tension and stress and trouble in a home? An overbearing woman. Now, it's not the only one, but it's one of the greatest culprits. She talks too much. She criticizes too much. She corrects too much. Right? Argues too much. Suggests too much. And what she does is turn some poor guy's life into pure hell. Now, every godly woman hates these tendencies in herself. And she hates it in others. And every husband, if he's a real man, will help her to overcome those tendencies. Not beat it out of her. Help her to overcome these tendencies. See, I knew what she was thinking, man. I knew what she was thinking. I know you have to overcome not only your wife, but your mother-in-law. So, you know... <laughs> you always know you hit a nerve when they start immediately defending themselves. <laughs> All right, we got through that one. Now we're going to the second one. Hallelujah. <laughs> the next one is scorners. And a scorner will ruin a home's peace. And you can see that in 1619 in Proverbs 2210 and 2620. And let's, let's, let's define it. What is a scorner? A scorner is a haughty fool who arrogantly despises correction, disrespects authority. They should be corrected, according to the Scripture, with a rod and reproof or removed from the home. Now that's what it says in Proverbs 26.3, 22.10, and 24.9. What it says. The next one. A fool in a home will ruin its peace because that 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 steak meal will only fuel his foolish thinking and talking. This makes him worse. And how many parents have had their peace stolen by foolish children? Proverbs ten and one speaks of that, and also seventeen twenty five. Bible says that foolishness is bound in the heart of every child, but the rod and reproof will surely and always correct that. In Proverbs 22:15, In other words, if you've got foolish children that are plaguing you as teenagers, it's probably because they didn't get reproved when they were younger. I don't know. You know, I, I know we, we try to make excuses for everything, but it just comes right down to it. I know when I've messed up, and I try to go back and fix it. And some people need to understand, especially when you're starting brand new and you've got a new family coming up. If you don't start now, if you don't start now, then they're going to, they're going to, they're going to be foolish children when they get older. You've got to start now. All right, let's look at the next one. An angry person who presses issues will ruin the peace. Look at, the, look at Proverbs 30, 33. Proverbs 30, 33. Surely the churning of milk brings forth butter, and the ringing of the nose brings forth blood. You ever grabbed your nose, twisted it real good? It brings forth blood. 
So the forcing of wrath brings forth strife. Forcing of wrath, anger. How do I want to address this? Anger is not always just something that I can look at Jake down here and, and just yell at him and scream at him and tell him off and walk away and be red-faced. I, I, I prefer personally someone to do that to me than to ignore me or, or act like I don't exist. That's still anger. That is still anger, and that is wrong. You know, if, if, if I told one guy one time, I said, I prefer if you're going to talk about me, come into my office, be man enough to come into my office and talk about me to my face. And if I hit you, knock you out, that's just part of what you deal with. But be man enough because I respect you that way. I'm sorry if that goes against a lot of you in a way, I, just the way I am. But, you know, to ignore me or to, or, or to change the subject when I get in next to you, that, that, that's, 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 that's anger. And it's foolish. A real man will go to the person that they got a problem with and correct it. A real woman will too. A good preaching, thank you. I don't really care whether you think it is or not. But it's All right. So an angry person. So the rule of ending all wrath before sunset should be followed. Okay, let's look at that. Ephesians 4.26. Ending all wrath before sunset. When angry, do not sin. Do not ever let your wrath, your exasper... Oh, that's a good one. Your exasperation. I can hear my wife saying that every time she talks about exasperation. Your fury or indignation last until the sun goes down. It's okay to be mad, but get it out. Don't just, you know, if he's, I, I told him, you know, we're, we're working, he's, he's, he's not officially an associate, but he's going to be here shortly. And I told him, I said, talk to me. Don't hold something in. Don't be, uh, you know, don't be upset and get bitter at me. Just come and talk to me. I know I'm the pastor. And I know that, that I, you know, the Bible says you're worthy of, of double honor. But I prefer being up front and everything that we do. That's just good business, period. It's good business. And when the time comes and you vote him in as pastor, I'm going to sit right here. No, I'm, you, I'm keeping my seat. You can't have it. And every time I see him get exasperated, I'm going to go like this and walk out. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. Well, I probably would. Yeah. <laughs> the Bible says, let every man and woman be slow to anger. Slow to anger. All right, an angry person. Let's look at the next one. Bitterness will ruin a home's tranquility. For it is from hell and the source of confusion and every evil work. James 3, 14 through 16. I won't read that one. It will be coming up behind me, and you can read it. Excuse me. The commandment is clear. Put away all bitterness, especially husbands. Okay? I, I nailed the ladies a while ago. It's time for the husbands right now. The Bible says in Colossians 3.19, says, Husbands, love your wives and be affectionate and sympathetic. Now, it's the amplified version. With them. Be not bitter against them. Be not bitter against them. It says to be affectionate. And again, in the amplified, to be sympathetic 
There is a sense, and I know we laugh about this, but there is a sense within every woman that there is that they are the weaker vessel. The Bible says that. And there is a time that men have to be sympathetic. They do not think the way that we think. They don't act the way that we act. Thank God they don't. When I see a man acting like a woman, you know what I think. And we don't want to talk about that because I might offend somebody. Well, I would, but I don't want to. I don't have time. Okay, so, so we just won't go there. So, so you know, it, it's, it, that, that commandment is clear. For the wisdom from heaven is peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, and loves, loves to make peace, according to James three seventeen and 18. So bitterness, we're in a home, and we see this angry, an angry person, it, it, it goes downward on this. From anger, it, it goes down to bitterness. If a person does not take care of anger before the sun sets, then they can dwell on that all night long. Why do you think that God said that? We have a tendency to dwell on something all night long. You lay there in bed, eyes wide open. Ever been sleepy and you make your way to the bed? You struggle in there, turn the lights off, lay your head down, all of a sudden, whop! You think about everything your wife said to you beforehand. And you, you, you start thinking, I wonder what she means by that statement. Yeah. And then, you know, and she's over there snoring and you whack her, you know, good. <laughs> yeah. And then you can say, well, you know, I was, I was just frouncing around my sleep. I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> you know? So, yeah, I, I, you, you begin and you, you stay awake you, you because, you know, it becomes bitterness. And you continue to, to dwell on something. It becomes worse all the time. And then goes on. <clears throat> discontentment creates perpetual frustration. So you go from anger, bitterness, to discontentment. It creates perpetual frustration. So that even, a, even a steak dinner cannot bring peace and calm. The covetous and greedy man is always looking for more. And he is in constant state of agitation thinking about it. Look at 2 Samuel 13, 1 and 2. 2 Samuel 13, 1 and 2. Absalom, son of David, had a fair sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, their half-brother, son of David, loved her. Go to the next one. And Amnon was so troubled that he fell sick for his half-sister Tamar, for she was a virgin. And Amnon thought it impossible for him to do anything to her. Okay, so you see the discontentment until if you go on with that story, you find out where it winds up. Discontentment. Be content in whatever state you're in. Husbands, be content with your wives. Wives, be content with your husbands. Be content with your children. Believe me, what you see sitting next to you is not really what you see. You may think they're perfectly happy. You may think their children are well behaved. You don't know they paid the kids off before they came in here. <laughs> That's the next one. Here's a good one. This is my favorite one. A family with a moody parent. Or worse, two moody parents. They're doomed. They're doomed for such weak and wicked people set the tone in the house and at dinner by whatsoever foolish mood they have allowed to overwhelm their soul. All right? Joy is a commandment. In Psalm 27, 6, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And, and also Psalm 27, I'm sorry, that Rejoice in the Lord is Philippians 4, 4. I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Psalm 27 and 6, sacrifices, it speaks of the sacrifice of joy. We are to be joyful. It is a commandment to us. 
That means you find joy outside of circumstances. You find joy outside of what's happening to you right there. Your joy bubbles up within because the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit of God, is joyful. It lets your joy continually. Joy should be a constant feast. A constant feast. A good man can destroy all these enemies of a peaceful home for he will be a godly example of peace and joy. He will enforce them on the rest of the family. Now, how do I, what do you mean, Robertson, when you say enforce them? You mean you come up to your wife and say, you're going to be happy today or else. How do you enforce that? You are it. I believe if you live it constant and consistent, and it's not easy to do, but if you've got a man and a woman and they love one another and they help one another and one of them will be up when the other one's a little bit down, and listen, it's not wrong for you to hide it. Don't you give me that hypocrisy bit. Well, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I've I got to act the way I feel. Well, good grief, if you did that all the time, you'd be fired from a job and you'd be... If you said everything you wanted to say, you think you would... Well, you'd be in jail. Don't, don't go there. You know, you, you, you know you, you faith it. You don't fake it. You faith it. You, you say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be this way. And it's not easy, but it, that's where you help one another. That's the way we should be. And, and what a blessing for a wife and children to have a man ruling their home in that manner, that he's going to have this, this peace and joy in his life. And, and, you know, the Lord needs to raise up. Now, listen to me. The Lord needs to raise up such men in, in this infeminate and frustrated generation. Yeah, he really is. That's what needs to be raised up. Paul gave an excellent summary of the love and peace that ought to characterize the lives of saints. And he gives the, the means to obtain them in, in Colossians three twelve through 15. And with such peace and joy as the basis, life can be a perpetual, I said it earlier, a perpetual feast. Regardless of what's on the table, it's a perpetual feast. We must remember success is not more things but contentment with what we have. Save yourselves from a generation deceived by the lie that, that gain is godliness and happiness. We can learn to be content regardless of what's on the table. So, you know, it, where are we going to put the emphasis? Look at this. Where are we going to put our emphasis? Where, from this point, where are you going to put your emphasis? Time, effort, money, value on things or on godliness and contentment regardless, regardless of what you have or what you don't have. And what you have to do is you make a statement. I'm going to train my children this way. I'm going to show them. It's, 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 a, it's going to be this way. And the church, the, this proverb applies to the church. For a church at peace, regardless of circumstances, is a superior to a church with strife. And I don't know about you, but I've been feeling a whole lot of peace in this place. And we're going to continue to feel peace in this place. It's just here. I, I, when I walked in tonight, you felt, felt peace. There's, just, there's a peace here. Thank God for it. Proverbs 17 and 3. Man, I just covered one. One proverb. Took me half an hour. A finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord trieth the hearts. Silver and gold are prepared for us, or for use rather, by purifying them in hot fires. The heat burns away impurities and base metals to leave pure silver or gold. And this is fit for the craftsman to make uh, beautiful pieces of jewelry or any kind of decorative object. Only the Lord can prove and purify our hearts in a similar way through the fiery furnace of afflictions and trials. 
That is what, this is a very important, this is what Solomon is trying to get across to us, why we have to go through what we go through. We pray so much of this down on ourselves. We get ready to step into ministries, into something that God has called us to do, and all of a sudden we're, we're shoved into the furnace. And we don't understand it. We think, you know, all heaven should be strumming their heart because I'm getting ready to, to be, I'm getting ready to play the keyboard. I'm getting ready to do a drama. I'm getting ready to take care of Sunday school. And all of a sudden, you're shoved into the furnace. That's the way it works. Men prove, assay, or refine the precious metal, silver and gold, but they cannot prove, assay, or refine the heart of a man. They use a fining pot for, for proving silver, and they use a, a furnace for refining gold. But the heart of men is neither accessible nor improvable. You can't. Man's heart, the Bible says, is a deceitful above all things in Jeremiah 17 and 9 and desperately wicked. No man can truly know the impurities in his own heart. So the Lord tries the hearts to reveal what is there and he rewards accordingly. No man can escape the flaming eyes of him with whom we have to do. According to Revelations 1, 14, 2, 18, nobody can do that. We don't know what's in us. I don't care how good we are, how much we pray. I don't care how much we think, how long we've been in church. There are still impurities within the heart of a person. And God knows that if you're going to make it to heaven, if you're going to be valuable to Him in this world, He is going to refine you and you're going to see what's there or what's not there. The Bible speaks often of God refining His saints. Look at Job 23 and 10. I've done read through Job twice, just recently. Great book. I like the one part in Job. I'm not going to read this. It was part in Job where one of his, his comforters comes to him. and he's just he, Actually, the comforter just finished a whole chapter of talking to Job. And Job, in the beginning of the next chapter, he says, Well, he says, I know all wisdom and knowledge dies when you die. I love that. Because I've heard people just, just, you know, you'd love to say. In fact, the next time someone gives me advice, I'm going to go right there. But he knows the way that I take. He has concerns for it, appreciates and pays attention to it. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as refined gold. Pure and boy, you look at this. You look at what this man went through. And if that shows you anything, it should show you the necessity of every one of us being tried. It's important, important. We have to do it because we will be tried. Jesus came as a refiner. His fire burned up his enemies and purified new priests for offering acceptable sacrifices, according to Malachi 3, 1 through 5. The fiery trials he sends may make our hearts heavy, but they make our faith stronger. He brings his people through the fire to perfect them, and from, from them he chooses his jewels, in Malachi 3:16, It's those people that are refined that become the jewels that he's going to gather when he comes again. It's those people that have gone through those fiery trials. If you have not been through a trial, then you're not fit for the kingdom. That's just that. We don't like it. I don't like it. I don't want any more. But I also want to make it to heaven. It's just that simple. The Lord can quickly find what is in your heart. He knows your worst fears, your strongest temptations, your secret fantasies, your weakest moments, your trigger points. Anybody got any trigger points? Anybody want to tell me what your trigger point is? How about you, brother? You just you have, he what? He's lying. I mean, he's but he's he got a lying problem. Okay. <laughs> What's your trigger point? <laughs> 
your children, your grandchildren. Go ahead. Oh, boy, that's a truth. She does. She really does. Bad customer service. Yeah. Mine is when someone shows me their IQ when they drive by me. I honestly, I want so badly to catch somebody and take a knife and cut that finger off. That just irritates me. And I've really worked on that. Now, when they do that, I just give them a salute. I can't figure why anybody would do that. Why would, even when I was a bad person, I wouldn't do something like that. But you know, there's so much rage out there on the road. Everybody's trying. And now, since everybody's trying to conserve gas, they drive five times slower. You, get, you stop, come up to a stoplight and they accelerate inch by inch. And my wife says I'm one of them that does that, so I better just shut up and go on. <laughs> so, you know, we have our trigger points, and God knows those things. And the sins that easily beset you. He can prove, assay, or refine you easily. And, and, the, and, you know, we just need to understand. We need, every one of us need to tremble before God and worship Him simply because He knows everything there is to know about us. He knows all that. So we need to love Him more than ever before because regardless of our trigger points, our weaknesses, the sin that so easily besets us, He loves us anyhow. And that's, that's wonderful in that. He, he has His way of doing it and, and, and refining us and humbling us. And He uses the, the furnace of affliction to try our faith by adversity. He uses the furnace of infirmity to build our reliance on His grace. Look at 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10. Come on. Trigger point. Oh, there we go. But he said to me, My grace, my favor, and loving kindness and mercy is enough for you, sufficient against any danger, and enables you to bear the trouble. Man, Oh, I like that. Look at that. Manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed, and shown themselves most effective in your weakness. Therefore, I will all the more gladly glory in my weakness and infirmities that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. Ah, Ask God to pitch a tent. We can preach on that. Pitching a tent. Now, he uses... The furnace of temptation to measure your obedience, according to Hebrews eleven seventeen, And with wisdom we should rejoice in fiery trials, knowing they are perfecting us. We will recognize their great profit, not consider them strange, and even pray for God to examine and prove us, according to 1 Peter four twelve. So how can gold be found without fire? How can it be purified without heat? Only by the Lord's fiery furnace are we purged of secret sins. Fear of man, attraction to the world, pride, trust in others, and love of others. Now, when I make that statement, trust in others and love of others, it's the fact of trusting people over trusting God and loving other people over loving God. If I am up here preaching just to get you to love me and not to please God and to get His love, then I'm making a big mistake. That's, that's a big mistake. So, so we, he, he needs to. And the purchase of self-righteousness and, and other dross of all kinds. And only, only by the furnace is our faith, love, and hope purified. The process is painful. The results are glorious. Let me tell you something. Let me give you something here. 
A lot of times people get into the fiery furnace. If bad things start occurring, they backslide. They backslide. They come back to God. God's great love, His great mercy, of course He takes us back. He loves us. But the thing is, you're going to go back into that trial again because you messed up the first time. So don't, don't, you might as well get through it. Because you backslide and you come back and you'll do it again. The wonderful thing about it is that you, you might be inches away from getting through that thing. If you backslide, you've got to start all over again. Mm, i got time for this one. I don't know. Oh, I love this. is a big one. Here we go. Proverbs 17, 4. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. Solomon often condemns false lips, naughty tongues, and evil mouth. There's eight Proverbs that tells you that. And he praises godly and gracious speech throughout Proverbs. There's seven Proverbs that tells you that. The valuable lesson of all these Proverbs is simple. A person who cannot control their speech and speak righteously and wisely is a wicked person and a fool. Luke 6.45. Luke 6.45. The upright, honorable, intrinsically good man out of the good treasure stored in his heart produces what is upright, honorable, and intrinsically good. And the evil man out of the evil storehouse brings forth that which is depraved, wicked, and intrinsically evil. For out of the abundance, overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, notice something as proverb. I want you to look at this proverb again. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips, and a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. The proverb does not condemn false lips or a naughty tongue. Now, I know they're wrong, but this proverb is not condemning them. What's it doing? It's condemning the person who listens to such speech. And here we learn a whole lot of wisdom. To be truly holy and wise, we must avoid, reject, reprove, and eliminate the foolish speech of others. In other words, if someone is doing this stuff, Get away from them. Don't listen to them. We might agree that certain speech is horrible, but if we listen to it, we are as wicked as the people that are speaking it. The only reason for listening is to satisfy a profane heart that enjoys it. So it is our wisdom to cut off all foolish talking and wicked speech and avoid them as much as possible. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. Ephesians 5, 3 and 4. But immorality, sexual vice, and all impurity of lustful, rich, wasteful living or greediness must not even be named among you as is fitting and proper among saints, God's consecrated people. So we have to agree with that. True holiness rejects evil talkers themselves. The rule of wisdom even condemns an entire government as wicked when the ruler listens to lies. Proverbs 29, 12 will tell you that. What does this say of parents who allow the words of a whisperer in their home, tailbearer? The jokes of, of a, well, let me say, a dirty jester. The witness of one. When I say the witness of one, the Bible says the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If I'm to listen to one person condemn him, I'm wrong. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? The Bible says the mouth of two or three witnesses. They come tell me that he's out, he's out, he's out drinking again. And I go up to him and say, I'm, you're off the platform. Unless he says he's drinking again, why, how do I know you're not mad at him? So I've just messed him up and I've messed me up. 
So the witness of one is not enough. I want you to get that. And let me take that one step further. I don't care how holy you are. I don't care how righteous you are, how supernatural you are. If God tells you that he's out drinking again, you tell God to tell you somebody else has seen it. He never drank to begin with, okay? Just so you understand that. What is that I smell? Oh, <laughs> must be shaving cream or something. Uh, <laughs> but do, do you understand what I'm saying? And people have been messed up. Oh, God showed me. I've had people come to me and tell me like they like. I mean, I've like they've seen it. Where did you come? Well, God showed me that. Well, which God showed you that? You used to do it the Bible way. Out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. If God showed you that, and maybe he is, then God will send me two more witnesses and let me know. Or I'll just go up to him and say, hey, are you doing that? I've done that too. All right. So it's, it's a witness of one. Or the disrespect of authority. When we are in the presence of a backbiter, when we are in the presence of a backbiter, we should stop them cold with an angry countenance. Look at, uh, look at, look at Proverbs twenty five twenty three. Look at this. The north wind brings forth rain. So does a backbiting tongue bring forth an angry countenance. So in other words, he's backbiting him. Then I ought to have an angry countenance. In other words, he said, I shouldn't be telling him this. He don't look like he appreciates it. And even better yet is say, would you just shut up about it? That's even better. All right. Am I hitting somewhere? Everybody got really quiet. Am I doing good? I hope so. I hope so. I love this stuff. Yeah. David, in his great desire for a holy life, purposed to cut off all slanders and liars from his household. You can read that in Psalm 101, 5 through 7. And this should be a, a, the goal that every one of us has. The whisper would be unemployed if he were told to shut up and go away. Okay? The backbiter would have clean teeth. Backbiter, clean teeth. Okay? If she were told to stop her sinning. Okay? <laughs> and what about the poor old jester who stops telling nasty jokes? Hmm? If he soberly stared at him like he was crazy, he'd stop it. The slander would be alone if her evil surmisings and false accusations were ridiculed. The talebearer would be talking to himself if he were rejected. Men continue in their wicked speech only because they have an audience, folks. There are some people in churches that's all they can talk about. I asked, my, I asked a very wise person one time, why is it that church people always talk about one another? As my wife's so asking. And she says, because they're together so much. They don't have anything else to talk about. And it's probably true. But there is, you can talk about Scripture. You can talk about God. You don't have to talk. You know, listen, folks, every one of us, we're not perfect. There's a group of imperfect people that I'm looking at right now. And you're looking up here at the biggest imperfect of them all. Okay? But I'm saying that we don't have to bring that out. We need to exhort one another, build one another up, tell each other we can, we can do it. Instead of just, instead of slandering, 
Instead of slandering, I, that, that's how we should. I, I've always felt and believed another one of those aspects of having a true apostolic church was, and I know it's impossible to get rid of all of it, but I think we can get rid of the, the bulk of it. I, I really believe that we can. So I, I think that's what we need. You know, if they don't have an audience, they won't talk. But woe unto the man who listens to ungodly conversation, for he is revealing the same evil heart as the one speaking. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ refuse to hear evil. All right, it is past my time. I will take up Proverbs 17 and 5 next week. And if you would stand with me. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever got pulled into a conversation and you felt dirty when you got out of it? And you knew that you shouldn't have been going along with it, but you did anyway. Why do we do that? Anybody want to raise a hand and tell me that? Why do we do that? Why do we allow ourselves to get pulled into that kind of thing? Come on, give me a hand. Someone of vast intelligence. Nobody's got any vast intelligence. You got, go ahead. I knew you had some. You what? Look like the odd man in the group. You had your hand up. I'm sorry acceptance that's that's a good point too and we do that both those go ahead sometimes sometimes we just and and both you all hit on it sometimes we just simply we don't want to be rude you know you just you don't want to be rude and yet and you get pulled into it and you feel you know, how does God look at that? If we know biblically that we're correct, and I realize that sometimes we can use the Bible like a bludgeon, and we can use it to beat people over the head with. But on the other side of it, my soul is important to me. The Bible tells me I've got to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling. So then I, if, you know, you, can, you don't have to be rude. If you're in a conversation and it starts getting on, you're talking about me, and of course there's nobody could say anything bad about me, but, but you know, you get into talking about, you know, the pastor in general. And, and the best thing to do is say, I know where this is going. God bless you. i got to go. Yeah. That's the, best, that's the best way of dealing with it because that would be enough to put, probably shut them up right there. Because you don't need, you don't need that. Not only that, it, it, it's, it's what the computer says, you garbage in, garbage out, isn't that the truth? Because if you listen to it enough, that's all you're going to be talking about. So there just comes a time when you just have to say, I've got to work. I, my children are going to be raised right. I'm going to be right. I, I'm going to get over I really would like to go somewhere in God, and I'm not going to be going anywhere this way. Let's raise our hands to the Lord right now. Father, we thank you for your blessings. I ask God that you would strengthen each and every one. Be with them as they travel. I ask God here this night, Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord bless you.